Hi there, this is Wafa Al-Abedat. You are listening to the Women Power Podcast, a subsidiary platform to the Women Power Summit, the largest event in MENA, with the aim of empowering women and helping them achieve their absolute highest potential. Each week on the Women Power Podcast, you will hear honest, vulnerable, authentic, real conversations from inspiring women. These women will share their experiences and stories into what it takes to build a successful business and career. The podcast will share insight and inspiration and hopefully inspire action and lead change. Aya Ahmed is a third-generation diamondateur and founder and creative director of Fine Jewelry. She is on a mission to revolutionize the diamond industry through her empowered jewelry brand, Fine. After starting out as one of the few women in the rough diamond trade, she saw a space for sustainable, ethical, and accessible jewelry. This saw her launch Fine Jewelry, the first lab-grown diamond jewelry brand in the UAE. The brand prides itself on crafting sustainable, accessible, and timeless pieces that can be passed down for generations. Welcome, Aya. So I, I love to start with the COVID question just because it comes and goes, but how has your business been affected by COVID and how have you been affected by COVID? So, I mean, it's been ups and downs, obviously, I think for everyone. And um, for me, in terms of work, um, I guess not many people know, but I launched my business um, a few months prior to COVID. And I actually am based in Angola full time. So I actually live abroad and my business is based in Dubai. So once COVID hit, I was stuck abroad for seven months and I had to manage work, like launching and growing a business from abroad. So for me, it was really challenging, but it actually forced me to overcome like a lot of mental barriers that I had and a lot of fears I had from from working remotely. And then remote working like became the norm. So it, it actually made things so much easier. So it was good in a way, but it was extremely challenging. Tell me about the worst day you had and how did you manage to turn that around? <laughs> um, I guess it's a, that's a really tough question, but I feel, I feel like there's a lot of... I mean, I'm very, very grateful because... Dubai and the UAE managed to really, you know, they were at the forefront of of the whole pandemic. And the worst thing that happened to me was my factory shut down for three weeks, which is not long at all, you know, but I had to manage like I was just at the start of my business and I had to turn away customers or tell them like, you know, I can't produce um, my products for you because I don't have inventory. My, my brand is a made-to-order brand. So every, every time I get an order, I then make a piece. And this is also part of our sustainability journey. So I think that was really challenging. And as much as I wanted to grow the company, I also had to be patient and kind of like realize like everyone's also going through this. So yeah, I mean, I, I worked around that by kind of just like trying to grow my, my presence on social media and explaining my brand. And I, that was that was pretty tough, though. But um, I'm really glad that it, it wasn't for too long of a time period. I mean, three weeks is, is a lot better than than what most countries had to deal with. So let's go back to the very beginning. You studied investment and financial risk management. Tell me what studying an LSE was like and did you see any signs of your passion for jewelry and design back then? So it's really funny because 
in school, I was always very mathematical, you know, like I loved economics. So I thought I wanted to be a banker. Like I studied a, a, such a specific degree that would just lead me into the banking, like investment banking industry. And while I was there um, studying in London, I, I did a lot of internships. Like my first work experience was at Nomura International. And they um, put me on the, the luxury retail desk. So I was dealing with like fashion brands for the first time in my life. Like I didn't come from a fashion background. So that was kind of like my first experience with the fashion world. And I really enjoyed it. Obviously, it was in a corporate finance point of view. But um, I think there were always hints that like I was destined to do something entrepreneurial and not actually like stick to the corporate world. When you were studying what you were studying, did you know in your heart that this was like the right thing or did it not sit well with you at some point? Like, I feel like sometimes we're asked so early to make these decisions about our career when we don't even know exactly what we want to do. And there are signs. The signs are there clearly. I think it's it's really difficult because I I came from like a family like I had th- I have three older sisters and they all did completely different things. And you know, one of them was a banker and I was like, okay, maybe like we like the same things. We're good at the same things. Like maybe this is what I have to do. And doing all these internships while studying, like, I think I was lying to myself a little bit. Like, you know, oh, I should like this. Like I should be good at this. But like, whenever I was there in that environment, I didn't really feel like I fit in. Like I felt like there was something missing. So I wasn't being honest with myself, but like, I was lucky in a way because at that point it was the financial crisis. So, so many graduates were having a lot of issues finding jobs. Um, So that kind of made me step back and reevaluate what I actually wanted to do, you know? Um, So, yeah, I think, uh, I think that that definitely was like the starting point into like becoming an entrepreneur rather than sticking to the corporate world. So I studied interior architecture, Aya, and I have a very similar story. Like something just didn't sit well with me. I knew I love design and I was like, I should like this. Like since I was in high school, I thought that anyways, like interior architecture was the only thing my parents were going to pay for, like interior design. They're like, you're not going to go to art school and go into fashion and art. No way. Like we're not paying for that. I'm like, fine, interior design. So I was like, that's it. So you're one, I'm like sitting there with all this like technical stuff. I'm like, this is not me, you know, like, and it's, it was so strange because it's like, well, then what is right? So then we start this quest of like pathfinding and trying to figure and sometimes doing something and you're like, okay, this is not what I want to do helps you figure out what you want to do. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like it's so, sorry to cut you off, but it's so difficult to figure out what you want to do when you're like 16, 17 applying for university how is that possible, you know? And you don't actually know, like, what does an architect do? Like, what does a jewelry designer do? Like, people don't actually know what anyone does on a day-to-day basis. So it's really hard until you get work experience and all of that, which I think it's also really important to start work experience from a young age. Um, But yeah. I agree. And uh, and on top of, like, what do other people do on a day-to-day basis it's also like who am I like what do I like what do I enjoy you know how do I want to live my life do I want remote working do I want nine to five do I want insurance like what's important to me I feel like no one really sits with us to be like okay let's customize your career based on you Aya or you (laughs) right it's just like 
you know it's 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 so interesting so i feel like no one ever asks you the good questions which is like what do you want to do or what do you enjoy or what do you want to explore you said earlier on that you have done a lot of internships can you tell us what some of those internships looked like and and what's like the one thing you learned from the, those internships so my the the first work experience i actually did um was at namora how like i told you previously and it was a women's immersion program so they were trying to in- integrate more females into the banking industry and i honestly really really enjoyed it because i felt like they were trying to make a space for women in an intimidating industry and that kind of was like the starting point that allowed me to realize how important it is as a female to make a mark in male dominated industries um it was a really short internship i was still very young but i learned a lot from that i had a really great um mentor like they assigned me to a mentor and she was amazing she worked so hard um but yeah i mean that that internship definitely stuck with me for since since now like i can still remember so much from that So what was your first job then after university? Where did you work? So I actually created my own job. Like I started a company <laughs> um with my now husband um and we basically launched a sports app called Sportable. And this was the time where like the app store was booming and everyone was trying to create like startups and apps. And the whole concept of it was um it was kind of like a Tinder for sports. So you would basically on the app be able to find uh, other sports players, book a facility, organize meetups. Um and we were both very passionate about sports, so we wanted to like, you know, create something. Um and I feel like that experience taught me a lot about running a business and a lot about entrepreneurship, but I realized a lot about myself. Like I I'm such a perfectionist that I'm afraid to get things wrong so like I feel like I held myself back from growing the business a lot because of those fears you know so that was definitely like the starting point of me wanting to build a business and wanting to just do things um on my own and not really have like that typical corporate role that I thought I was meant to be in you know so from investments and in finance or just the finance sector to sports What got you into sports? Are you like a natural athletic person? You know, where you it was just your husband rubbing off on you like No, I love sports. I love sports. So like I I have been playing basketball and volleyball since I was like 10, 11. Um from school I played basketball at LSC like for the women's team. Like I just love sports. So it was a no-brainer for me. I was trying to mix mix passion at the time with like something businessy. um and my husband obviously also loves sports so like we were you know um we we're very much on the same level with what we wanted to do so <laughs> so was he your husband when you started sportable or did he become your husband no. after sportable during sportable what's the story <laughs> um we were dating obviously uh and then shortly after um like he proposed and then we got married in uh, 2017 so What was it like working with your husband on a business? Were you going to kill each other or was it smooth sailing? <laughs> For the most part, it was smooth sailing, but it was very difficult at times. I'm not going to lie. And I think it was also like we were both learning a lot. We were still very young. Like at the time I was 23, 24, you know? So like you're still learning like straight out of university like what you want to do in life and 
Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's always difficult working with someone that's close to you. But I think like if you set good boundaries and different roles, then you, you can manage like a business quite well. And it also taught me a lot because I went into the family business before I started my company and working with my dad and my brother also isn't easy. But like you have to be able to set those boundaries and like communicate um, in order to have like an effective family business. My husband is an entrepreneur and we totally vibed when we first met, but everyone's like, oh, you guys must be so like in sync because you're entrepreneurs. It's like, no, we're super stressed people. Like we're like so easily like ticked off because we're just like the stress levels are insane. So it's not like there's the calm one and then there's the like passionate, stressed out, needs to take care of like employees. It's like we're both on that level. So no one ever talks about what it's like just to like entrepreneurship looks so glamorous from the outside and then actually it's extremely like hard work and we don't it's, really show the behind the scenes yeah it's tough i mean i think you're constant you work harder because you own your own business you know because you can never switch off like even when you're on holiday you can never fully switch off and i feel like it can be also a very lonely journey like Sometimes you feel, especially if you're a sole founder, like you don't have a co-founder or whatever, like sometimes you're just in your head constantly and you're just like, and you're always, it's, you're always second guessing yourself. Like imposter syndrome was definitely a thing when I first started working, um, working on my jewelry brand. But yeah, like it, I realized talking to other entrepreneurs, like everyone has it, like everyone is always doubting themselves, second guessing themselves. It's part of the journey, I guess. I agree with you. I still have imposter syndrome, but like you said, I used to be a solo founder for the longest time and I feel like I had to, I couldn't be vulnerable with anybody. I had to like have my game face on all the time and that can take a toll on you emotionally. Now I have co-founders, so I can be like, what do we do about this? And I have no idea. Or like I changed my mind. And in the past I had to be like, no, I have all the answers. It's going to be fine. Even if there were days where I wasn't sure if it was going to be fine. Whatever happened to Sportable, where did it go? So we actually managed to get a first round of funding. So we had an angel investor on board, um, but we never had tech backgrounds. And obviously with an app, like you needed tech found, like at least tech co-founders or whatever. So we managed to get out a first version of the app, but we ran out of funding and we couldn't get further funding and we needed more um, updates to the app and we just couldn't pay our technical team enough. So we had we decided it was for the best to just move on and, and you know, um, pursue other things in, that we were passionate about. Um, but it was tough. I mean, it's always going to be our little like baby, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like probably your crash course into business. You probably made a lot of your mistakes yeah. <laughs> that I think that's why um, entrepreneurs become so valuable when they've started and um, kind of made all the rookie mistakes and failures. Um, and then the second time around, they're like, okay, I know how to do things better. And you become more valuable. But I wanted to know when did the when did Fine start to the idea of Fine happen? Do you remember like the moment it happened, or was it always kind of there in the background? So, so just to give like a little bit of background about myself, um, my family's been in the wholesale diamond industry for three generations. So, when Sportable um, didn't go as we expected. Um, my father suggested like, oh, you know, like, why don't you study gemology and you can come work with the family business? And it's something I never expected or even thought of doing. 
But I did a GIA course, a Gemological Institute of America course, um, and I really enjoyed it. And I felt like it was so different than finance because you're working with things like hands-on, like physical products, not, not digital products. Um, so I started working in the diamond industry in Antwerp and I learned all about like manufacturing of diamonds, appraising rough diamonds. So I learned everything from like the ground up. And in the meantime, friends started approaching me and they're like, oh, can you make our engagement rings? Like I had access to wholesale diamond prices, right? So the crazy markups that you see in jewelry stores, like obviously it was so much more affordable for my friends to come through me. So I started making jewelry very organically. Like I never actually thought about going into jewelry. Um, so I st- kept getting referrals and just like kept growing this like side jewelry business And then I realized there's like a gap in the market for accessible luxury items and no one's really doing that. Um, So that was like the first, you know, planting the seed of what was to become fine. And where did the name fine come from with a Y? I would love to say that it has like some crazy abbreviation and meaning, but I really just wanted at the time... I wanted my brand to feel like a luxury brand, but with a twist. So obviously fine is means fine, timeless, minimal jewelry, but it's spelt with a Y because it's not your typical everyday jewelry. It's made with lab grown diamonds, which was the twist involved. So that's kind of where like the the name came from. This episode is brought to you by Fine Jewelry, a brand that forever chooses to consciously consume, craft, and create. Founded by third-generation diamondateur Aya Ahmed, Fine is making waves in the jewelry industry. Using lab-grown diamonds and 18K gold, the brand prides itself on crafting sustainable, accessible, and timeless pieces that can be passed down for generations. Their intricate and detailed pieces are my favorite to pair, as they use a less is more appeal and exclude complete class. We're big fans of their delicate pieces and believe it is every woman's choice of ornaments to feel beautiful and confident. You can now know more about Fine Jewelry by following them on Instagram at Fine Jewelry or visit their website, finejewelry.com. What I like about Fine is it seems to me like it's a it's a lean business, like it feels really intimate and organic nothing feels aggressive or forced it just feels super natural is that on purpose like how you know what is the your business philosophy with fine yeah I mean from the start of me launching the brand till now like I'm still very much involved with the whole customer service experience with reaching out to clients like we do a lot of bespoke pieces as well like bridal jewelry and I'm involved with every single step of the way and I feel like I want to keep that because at the end of the day like my brand is a representation of who I am as well like even the style of the pieces Um, and when I first launched it like I did everything you know, I, I did my own website, like I designed my own pieces, I was working on social media. So like it did grow very organically, like there was no aggressive marketing push, like everything was just extremely organic, with, which is also how I came up with the idea, you know, like 
I just started doing jewelry because it just happened, you know. Um, so I, I do like that concept and I feel like I want to definitely keep that element to the brand and make it keep it very intimate, you know. Um, I, I think especially in the Middle East, people like that. They don't like to deal with big companies like they they just want to whatsapp you and you know like ask you personal questions or they they won't even make an order online on the website even if there's a checkout process like they want you to do it for them <laughs> so or they're just like whatsapp me the details it's makes it so wonderful to scale oh yeah uh, the 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 way that um in this part of the world it's you're right personalization and feeling connected to like the founders is, is very key like every i think arab i knows like want to wants to speak straight to the top like let me speak to the owner. And it's like, there's like six levels. I was like, no, owner, I want to go straight to the top, right? So even like with family and friends, it's like, even if you hired somebody, they'd still be like, they'd want to contact you specifically. Um, but I know what you mean, because then the good, the, the pro about that is you're close to the customer. You know what the customers want, what their needs are. You exactly. can have conversations with them. You get the feedback immediately. When you're designing, who is the fine jewelry perfect passenger? I'm sure that you think of somebody when you, design something um what does she like what does she look like what are her habits I think with yeah like with my vision of like this fine jewelry woman like I I always embodied like a little bit of rebellion a little bit of edgy sophistication you know um my pieces are very minimal but they like come with kind of quirky different shapes that your typical um jewelry they are very elegant but yeah I always think of like an empowered bold woman when I'm designing like I just want to inspire women in that way I also feel like the customer you're designing it for is like multifaceted so like she's super feminine but super strong like it's a nice combination like you can still be a girl but also like you really know what you want and you know where you're going and you're fearless so I like the combination of what the brand stands for In terms of your jewelry design process, so walk me through like when you get an idea, like do you see something? Are you sketching? Do you use an online program? Are you designing with somebody? What is your design process? So, I mean, let's just put it out there. I'm not a trained jewelry designer. I never went to design school. Like I didn't go to fashion school either. So when I started my first collection, I tried so hard to sit and hand draw everything. Like I literally have the sketches still. And it was so difficult because no one taught me how to do it. But I realized like moving forward, it just takes so long to do, especially because I don't come from that design background. So what I do now is I envision a collection. I do a lot of mood boarding, like research, like I get inspiration from different things like architecture and when I'm traveling and then I put that all together in a brief and I work with a technical designer so she puts together 2D sketches and then we'll iterate depending on like how my vision is kind of moving forward Um, and that's like saved me a lot of time and it just makes a lot more sense obviously because I can't do everything Um, but that's typically how it works and from the 2D sketch we'll work with the factory to actually do the 3D mock-up so that's like what it looks like actually like 3D and then gets casted and then created into the finished product. It's so interesting I love that you work with a technical artist and I feel like 
that is one very collaborative, but it's almost like you're a creative director. So you're guiding and directing the process and like bringing what you have to life. When you're working with your technical designer or your technical artist, are you then, do you see like a very clear vision in your head and you're just like trying to get close to that? Or are you like, oh, I like, like, or is it as it's happening, you're discovering things and making changes on space? on spot as well it's it's very collaborative like I feel like I'll give her what I have in mind but she'll come with like two or three different options and then we can like play off of what we like the most and then I'll also get feedback I think feedback's really important so I'll ask like friends and family and um yeah I mean it's a whole process um but uh I'm never a hundred percent like this is definitely what I want and this is what we should make. Like I'm very open to ideas and concepts and I think it's important to to get always get those second opinions as well and, and change your mind as well because it's it's completely normal when you're designing something. So finding a factory or finding a production house to actually make your pieces in smaller quantities or on demand is extremely challenging. Did you physically have to go visit the factory or and how did you find them is it like through a network of your family business did you just do a bunch of research was there trial and error what was that experience like it was really difficult because like I said I wasn't also living in Dubai so I had like certain amount of time to find like the right factory and give them my designs and I did a lot of like literally like going door to door you know that was my research because also not a lot of these factories are online like you can't actually do research online Um, And within my own network, most of my family wasn't in jewelry, actually. They were in the manufacturing of diamonds, so converting a rough diamond to a polished diamond. And yeah, that like it was a very tough experience. I think um, it's really hard to find the right manufacturer. Um, And I know a lot of fashion businesses, especially small startups, they have a lot of issues with with finding the right uh, manufacturer, especially like one that is okay doing small quantities. I think even with packaging, it was such a challenge to find sustainable packaging that and that is in like a small MOQ of like 500 pieces, you know, like we're, I'm not going to print like 10,000 boxes when I first launch, you know what I mean? So um, it's, it's definitely a struggle, but I think the fashion industry is also changing in that way and um, implementing more sustainable kind of producers and low with low MOQs so what is your favorite collection or what is your favorite piece and why they must all be like your babies (laughs) they are they are my babies um but I I'm definitely most like most what do you call like attached to um the first collection I designed because like I said I drew it all by hand And the first sample that came out of production was the Dahlia necklace. And it was also the first product that I sold. Um, And then it became like the most popular collection that I created till now, even after like two and a half years. Um, So it's like our signature collection. So that collection like is completely my favorite and and it's my baby for sure. (laughs) What does it feel like when you work on something 2D, then 3D, and then you get the samples? I'm sure you get them like in little plastic bags and like packaged with like bubble wrap. What is it like seeing it? Have you ever been disappointed or has it always been like Christmas? <laughs> um, well, first of all, we don't use like bubble wrap and all that stuff because we try to like reduce the amount of packaging. But 
Um, we work really closely with our factory when we're creating the collection. So we'll go and work with the the CAD designers. We'll see like the wax molds and then we'll see the casting. So we're kind of seeing it come to life. Um, and then when it's completely done, it's really exciting. Like it's always so fun. And yeah, like it's like something that you created in your head and now it's actually like there in front of you. So it's really exciting and it's such a cool process. I'm big on books, so like when I get a book delivered, I'm just like <laughs> anything in a bag. But when you see something for the first time or if it's like the first print of like something you've ordered, it's so exciting. I think we just all love getting packages. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Speaking of bubble wrap and sustainability, that's like at the very core of your mission as a, a designer. Where did this intention come from like just to build sustainably not over make things not to hoard things just to stay away from plastic and like you know where did that come from and how have you kind of trickled that all over your brand yeah so I mean our our main mission is kind of to make lab-grown diamonds the new norm in the Middle East so our not only are we made to order and we use sustainable packaging but like our main value is to use lab-grown diamonds um, and in doing so our our mission is kind of to allow people to understand that you know you can create something in exactly the same way that it was created in nature but you can create it in a lab and it can be more environmentally friendly and more accessible as well in terms of price point and it just allows people to kind of think out of the box and use different kind of materials. And um, when I first started my brand, I felt like, you know, if I'm going to start a jewelry brand, the market is super saturated, first of all. Um, I'm not going to start another business just for the sake of starting another business. Like it needs to be done with intention. It needs to be done with positive impact. Um, and at the time, like Dubai was also at the forefront of implementing new sustainability measures and they're so forward thinking. So I felt like, you know what, let me bring this concept to the Middle East. Like no one's using lab grown diamonds in the Middle East. So I felt like there was a good opportunity for me as a diamond tear, like understanding the industry to come in and introduce this new product that no one else is doing. Um, and also like it was already, um, booming in the U S so like so many jewelry brands started using lab grown diamonds and it was growing like crazy and people were loving the concept of it. So that's when I decided like, you know what, now's the time. And then, yeah, I mean, two years later, like everyone already understands like, you know, about sustainability and everyone's talking about it. Um, huge companies are implementing circularity into their business models. And it's just, this is the future, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, to me, that was really important. I agree with you. I think especially like content that we're consuming today is like, I get so much anxiety looking at all the content on social. And I don't know if Instagram is giving me more of the stuff that I'm looking at that is giving me anxiety because I'm spending more time on it. So it's like, here's like 50 articles about why the world is ending and why the world is heating up and just looking at all the temperature changes. But whatever it is, like, I'm so mindful now of climate change and just being a good citizen and doing my part, whatever however small it is to like raise awareness yeah. and like 
you know, eat better and just not consume meat. So it's like a whole lifestyle. It's a lifestyle and it's also important to be forgiving. I think it's a process. Like no one's perfect, you know, um, but to have the intention and to do good and to become more conscious about what you're, you know, consuming and eating and, you know, buying at the supermarket, like it's, it's, you know, we, we can all do our part. And I think also, you know, um, as a business owner, like it's important to understand that businesses are not perfect either. But like we as a business, like we're a small business, but we're constantly trying to implement better measures and protocols to become even more sustainable and to become more ethical. Um, we're not perfect either, you know? So I think it's important. It's a journey. And I think... Um, you know, the education is getting out there. So so that's that's definitely a starting point. So Fine is really recognized as a collaborative brand. You've worked with so many amazing women to collaborate on collections. Can you tell us more about where this idea came from and what have been some of the results of some of those collaborations? Um, yeah, so last year we collaborated with Reem and Natalia Kanj on a small like five piece collection and it was so much fun. It was the first time I actually was working with, you know, other entrepreneurs and creating something because as a founder, sometimes like you just feel you need, you know, that second opinion. And it was it was really incredible. I mean, they approached me. Um, they loved the concept of the jewelry line. And as maybe some people, some listeners know that you know, both of them are very much into sustainability. They're both vegan. So like in terms of our values, like we very much aligned. And I think that's really important when you want to collaborate with other brands or, or you know, um, female entrepreneurs or whatever it is. And like it was received really well. Like we even had to relaunch the collection again this summer because people kept asking like, oh, when are the chain rings coming back in stock? And so we decided to relaunch them and, and we added uh, also fancy colored diamonds, which are like blue and pink diamonds um, on the chain rings. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was really fun. It was a brand that created FOMO because it just I felt like there were just limited pieces. So I was like, you know, looking at the content and the copy and I'm like, oh, wow, they're going to sell out, sold out, running out. And was that strategic from the beginning just to be like super limited on the um, amount that you were doing or was that strategic or was it more of like an experiment Um, and let's see how it goes well with a collaboration like ideally you know at some point it needs to maybe end like (laughs) um unless you're bringing someone on board full time you know so um we we decided to do it for the summer last year and it did so well that we extended it until christmas so then we said okay december 31st is the cutoff you know it was really hard to actually make that decision. We didn't really want to let go of the pieces. Um, but then a lot of people kept asking for certain items and we decided, you know what, like, let's just bring back um, the chain rings and the necklace. So we've brought that back and we're, we're not like letting it go. That's like a more, <laughs> it's there to stay. Collabs are very cool marketing strategies as well. Like H&M yeah. have killed it, like with just like these, it just keeps you coming back to the brand and gets you excited. Not just about that like kind of pop-up collection, but you then start yeah, looking at the I other think- stuff as well. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But like, I, I think it's just the new norm in, in fashion, especially. And I feel like it's opened up people's awareness to like collaborate instead of compete. 
if that makes sense, you know? And I love that because I feel like at the end of the day, everyone, there's space for everyone in every market, you know? Like, there's no need to be greedy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think uh, collaboration with, uh, with other women, like, that's always been something I wanted to do from the start. So um, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm, I'm doing that and I'm, I will continue to do that, you know? So. What is your distribution strategy? I know that people can order off of your website. You have a beautiful website. Where else can they get your items from? Thank you. Um, so basically, we are online primarily and we ship worldwide. Um, but we, are, we have an exclusive uh, small collection that's physically in Triano in store in Abu Dhabi. Um, and we're working on hopefully getting involved with some concept stores. We have a big client base in Saudi, so we'd love to do something in Saudi soon. But yeah, for now, it's primarily online. Um, people can also pick up in our office in Dubai. Um, and uh, yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> Is it strategic to really primarily have it online? Because I know that in retail, like if you're putting your items um, or putting your, your products or putting your jewelry in other stores, there's always like concession fees or, or commission. Exactly. Um, and yeah. it must be tough if like different brands are contacting you all the time to understand where you want to position yourself. So is it very strategic to be like primarily website just to keep things super lean? Yeah, I think like when we first launched, we really just wanted to stay as a direct to consumer brand. And part of that was keeping that accessible price point, you know, available to clients. And as soon as you go into retail or, you know, you want to get into like big retailers like Farfetch or, you know, Harvey Nichols or anything like that, you need to be pricing your product at like five, six times the price, you know, the cost. And then you're just making things extremely un unaffordable, you know. So we, we pride ourselves in trying to be as transparent as possible with our pricing and as accessible as possible. Um, and I think that's always been a value of ours because that's how the concept of the brand started as well. You know, that's how I got into jewelry. I mean, people were just reaching out to me for that, um, the wholesale kind of diamond prices. So, um, yeah, so I think, I think that's something that we kind of want to keep for sure um, moving forward. Let's talk about funding. And it's not easy to kickstart a business um uh, just on your own at the beginning was there like a personal investment you had to make did you have any money saved up how did you kind of get that earlier seed money in to kickstart fine so i i basically invested in the business myself like i and like i said i did everything very organically so i didn't hire many people um for help or anything like that um i had some money saved up from the previous projects that i had worked on as well um and i just invested and i wanted to see how it went you know so a lot of the you know the capital that the business has is just based off of our revenues um and um and yeah so like once i was able to hire some extra help or like you know, hire a social media manager or hire this um, designer, the technical designer. Like I started delegating those tasks, um, but it all came very organically. Like it, it wasn't like a huge 
lump investment and um and yeah i mean uh and and i think also part of that was because i was working on this brand from abroad so there was that element of growing too fast like that fear what if i grow too fast and i'm not going to be able to manage it so i wanted to do things very you know slow fashion very uh, <laughs> slow pace yeah but you don't seem to me like a perfectionist like i feel like you get things done sometimes like the challenge of doing a lot of things on your own and doing things on your own pace is if you feel like it it has to be perfect so it'll slow you down so i i i get the feeling you'll get it done right you you will cross the finish line like you'll do things on your own in your own pace but like it'll get done this is something i've been working on because i am a perfectionist like all my friends would call me a perfectionist so i realized like with with business like you're constantly making iterations you're constantly changing things so there's no point in trying to perfect something and sometimes you just have to let the little things go cuz only you will notice them like your clients won't notice them no one's going to notice them so this is a process of kind of like prioritizing what's important and letting go like the rest because you just can't can't move forward if you're constantly getting stuck in the small details Um so yeah I think uh <laughs> bit by bit I'm letting go that label We would like to thank our wonderful partners at Fine Jewelry for sponsoring this episode of the Woman Power podcast. Fine believes in educating, inspiring and empowering their customers through their exquisite pieces of jewelry. The pieces are consciously crafted using 18 karat gold and high caliber love diamonds sourced from transparent suppliers. They make sure to procure materials from companies that use renewable energy sources to reduce their carbon footprint. Combining high-quality sustainable materials and a made-to-order approach, Fine doesn't just respond to environmental problems but takes action forever choosing to consciously consume, craft and create. You can know more about their journey and their latest collections by following them on Instagram at finejewelry or visit their website finejewelry.com. So I yeah, a huge recurring theme like I've interviewed more than 200 women in the past 2 years on this podcast. So perfectionism runs deep in like it's probably the biggest theme. Um so everybody that I've spoken to, not everybody, but most of the women want everything to be done so perfect that they sometimes, you know, it's a challenge to scale because they want to be in full control yeah. of everything. Um but uh, it's so interesting cuz i feel like it's probably how i don't know why as women sometimes it's like is this how we grew up like all this pressure to like be girls and to just like you know not make mistakes so we're always like it has to be done really well or we're competing with ourselves and we just want something done like i think women are very tough on themselves and i think this is the reason why you know like we we just want yeah we want everything to be perfect and you know the world doesn't like that and yeah I, i think i think we need to be more forgiving and and you know more accepting of ourselves um so yeah it's definitely a, definitely a reoccurring theme with with women for sure for sure i mean all my entrepreneurial female friends are are the same so tell me what the big plan is for fine i'm sure that you are working towards like a bigger goal or something you'd love to see achieved what is the the you know what does the future of fine look like yeah so i mean we started doing ready made collections like i had designs already and we were just focusing on that primarily but 
almost 50% of our business is bespoke orders, actually. And it's very much behind the scenes. Like it happens when someone approaches me and that's how, how like the concept of the brand came into into place. So we, we do want to keep focusing on the bespoke orders, on bridal jewelry, um, on cre- creating like customized pieces um, and potentially have like a ready to wear bridal line as, as well. So it, the future is going to be, I mean, we'll still have our core values and we'll still be um, launching like uh, seasonal collections, but we do really want to focus on a different type of type of line that's a little bit more occasion wear and, you know, be part of those special occasions that clients, you you know, that clients have and uh, we love like we love being part of that so um, that's definitely in the works would you ever want to have a standalone store is that something that you think about sometimes just like your own space and environment to create for the ultimate experience or are you like now nah, old-fashioned online <laughs> um i would love to have our office become a little showroom, you know, where like clients can come in by appointment only, have that personalized experience. We can walk them through the whole process of creating a a ring. They can choose the diamond. You know, that's definitely something we want to do. But having, you know, a retail store in a mall, I just can't see myself doing that. I don't know. I just feel it's just not efficient anymore. It's not the way people really shop anymore. Um... Yeah, no, I, it's it's not where fine would be. But for sure, we still want to have that personal face-to-face element. And I think we can still accomplish that with with like uh, with our office and, and creating a showroom place for that. Would you ever want to have a co-founder? Have you met somebody? Is that like something you'd want or are you happy being a solo founder? It's really hard to envision having someone on board like as an equal right now after like being you know being like the not the face but like being the 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 steering the ship you know for like the last two and a half three years um so I don't I think I'll just you know continue being the sole founder I definitely would want to hire and you know expand our team um but I think it would just not it would be a little difficult, I think, because I've I've crafted the brand from the start. You know, I have a vision in place. And once you bring someone else on board, you also need to be willing to change your strategy and, you know, um, compromise on different things. And it just makes like the whole dynamic a little bit different. So who do you go to as a mentor in business or in the jewelry space to talk to about um scaling and growth and hiring and product do you have different mentors or coaches or is there like a brand that you're mirroring so I actually like I at some point about let's say a year and a half ago I hit a roadblock um and I I reached out to a consultant I had met her in um in a d3 event and she was great like she helped me she was a bit like a mentor to me as well um but that was just like for a short period of time and I think it's really important to reach out to to people that can help you and guide you um so recently also I started working with a life coach 
And this is not just business oriented, but it's also about understanding myself, understanding the barriers I put on myself, like how I get perceived, you know, um, because we don't always understand how people perceive us. Like we think we're doing so and so and then, you know, like, for example, tone of voice and things like that. It's, It's really interesting. So I've been working with a life coach to kind of yeah, I mean, iron out little things that I, I feel I need to work on. And, I, and that's been a really good experience. I think it's really, um, it's really beneficial. I think self-development is super important. You know, you're constantly growing and learning. So I had experience with like, I don't want to say it was therapy because I think it was more life coaching as well. But like when I started my company, I had this huge fear, like I had scarcity mentality, like I'm going to run out of money and everyone's going to leave me. And it was just always there like I was just like programmed in that way and I was always on like survival mode but even if I was fine I would and even if things were going well I'd still just have this intense scarcity mentality and like you said I had to talk to somebody to be like these are some of my challenges and she's like this is you know this is on you like you need to work on your mindset and it's like I never like I thought I was so positive and I thought I was a go-getter and it's like no there's this like this intense fear of losing people and money and it's like you're gonna manifest it if that's so like yeah Yeah, it's nice just to like get out of your own head and talk to somebody and and see how you can be the better like a better version of yourself for sure for sure I think also like at the start of this life coaching journey, like we had, I had to take a, a survey of like 200 questions. It's called an Enneagram and it kind of defines you into a personality type. And while you're not, no one is like super linear, obviously we have different aspects to each personality type, but like it really, really described me. And I was like, oh my God, these are things I never even thought about, you know? Um, and uh, it's it's just really important, especially like when you're running a business um, to just constantly also be growing as a person and individual. And um, yeah. What is the best part of your job and what are the parts of the job that like deplete you or you just don't like, <laughs> but you have to do anyways? Um, administrative stuff definitely depletes me. I'm still very much involved in like, you know, tallying inventory and and doing things like that like I find that super tedious but it has to be done best part of my job for sure is reaching out to clients and helping them create bespoke pieces like I love being part of that process I've met so many clients virtually and I feel like I know them but I've never met them in person and you really establish those like close connections and yeah it's just it's it's exciting I I love being part of the those experiences for them if you had any advice for any entrepreneur who was either getting into the jewelry business, but also just becoming an entrepreneur, what would you want to advise them? In all seriousness, like we talked a lot about per- perfection, right? And I think it's really important to like, just get your product out there and get feedback, you know, and just constantly get feedback and don't be afraid to share your ideas and reach out to your network and ask questions and then iterate, like constantly make changes and develop your product and and improve it and or develop your service if that's what it is but I think it's it's really important to like just reach that milestone and launch like I know so many women that are just afraid to launch their product because it's not perfect but it's like you're not going to learn you're not going to know what people actually want from you 
Um, so that's definitely important. And I feel like using your network is also really, really important. Like reach out to whoever you know, like get advice from whoever is running a business that's successful or, you know, just constantly use your network. Um, yeah, I mean, those two things for sure um, are important. I really appreciate that you said that you should be sharing your idea, testing things, putting out maybe something super scrappy just to get thoughts on it. I think growing up, a lot of the very old school messaging I got in business is like, don't launch anything unless it's perfect. You have to spend a lot of money to launch something, create a business plan, a feasibility study. Don't talk to anybody about your ideas until it happens. It's like really old school. Well, they're going to steal your idea. They're going like, to steal your idea. Oh my God, that was the biggest one. That That was a killer because... You need to be able to discuss your ideas and also like how are things supposed to happen if you're not asking for help or getting feedback and if you're just living in your head or living on your own. Um, But yeah, even just a few days ago, I was giving a talk and and I was talking about abundance mentality that it's okay to like, it's everyone has can have the same idea, but it's about like the person who actually brings things to life and we all do things differently. And somebody really challenged me. It's like, sorry, I don't subscribe to that. I'm like, I don't subscribe to like keeping things to yourself and getting worried people are gonna steal your idea who says that anymore so i mean to be honest like your idea a thousand people probably thought of it about it you know like it's impossible to come up with something you know unique like these days but really like who's gonna sit and have the time you know how hard it is to start a business like it's not easy to just steal an idea you know like it takes hard work and effort and So, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I don't think it's, it's, it shouldn't be a fear. I don't think that's an issue at all. I like to end all my podcasts with the same question, which is what do you feel is your superpower? I mean, I feel, it sounds really lame, but I feel I'm so disciplined. Like, just naturally, I'm so disciplined. And even when I was younger, like my mom never had to tell me like, go do your homework. Like I just always did it. And I take this discipline with me in a work environment. Like I feel some people, you know, they're like, oh, but how do you stay motivated? And it's like, but I'm not always motivated. I don't wake up always motivated, but I have that discipline. I wake up and I and I have my routine and my schedule and I work, you know, and despite being motivated or not motivated, when you create that routine and that discipline, like you're able to see progress and you're able to achieve things. And I don't know where this discipline comes from, but I have it. So I guess it's a superpower for me. So that's definitely, definitely something that, that sticks with me yeah, for sure as a superpower. Do you think, so by, by the way, I think discipline is the hardest thing to grasp. I don't think in school, even if like our parents are disciplined with us, maybe in university, you'll be like, I'm free. And like, you'll become a child all over again. And it's very hard to like maintain that discipline when you have like a chilled schedule and you work. So it's like you're meant to be more independent. So you don't necessarily become more disciplined at all. But my question to you is, do you feel it comes from sports or did you have parents who were disciplined or were the people around you disciplined? So you were like, this is normal that I have to like get on with. I think my upbringing, not at all. I feel like my upbringing was very relaxed. Like my mom was not very disciplined. Um, Obviously we had rules and stuff, but like she wasn't like behind my back, like disciplining me or anything. But growing up, I had, you know, so many extra school um like after school activities like I played a lot of sports and then I'd go on tournaments like living in Belgium I you know we we 
competed against other schools like in Holland and things like that. So like there was a lot on my schedule and I still excelled in school. And I feel like by being organized and disciplined, like naturally, like you're able to kind of like organize your schedule when you're doing like you're multitasking in a lot of different aspects of your life. So perhaps it's from there. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the superpower comes naturally, right? Like, I don't, I don't know how it... Can. The reason I asked you if it's sports, because I used to play football in school. I never... I tried to play football in university and that was just way too rough for me. Like, I couldn't, like, handle that. <laughs> I was like, we have... You know, we keep some distance when we're playing football. But in the UK, it's like much more of a contact sport and I got pummeled. Yeah. And I'm like, nope, not for me. I'm just going to go on my runs. But I, I feel like being in sports at a very early age or just being in a team sport like having to train and be on time and eat well and do like training on weekends and travel for tournaments like you said like you had to be organized so it yeah I think a lot of that discipline yeah go ahead yeah like team team sports also does teach you that you're right I feel like you do get you know um, it becomes ingrained in your mindset as well um yeah it's a great way to to learn how to be disciplined I guess do you still play basketball or volleyball um I try oh my god I miss playing so much but like I do play a lot of beach volleyball now um just because I live by the beach and it's easier but basketball is um I just don't play it enough unfortunately I feel like when you grow older you just forget to do things that you love to do it's also hard to find like a team to play. It's not like a solo sport. So that's also a big issue, which is why we had come up with Sportable, but you know, <laughs> it's not there. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Women Power Podcast. And thank you for downloading and streaming our podcast every week. If you love what you've heard, tag us on Instagram and follow the Women Power Podcast and Women Power Summit account for more information on our next episode. Please leave a rating review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps other women discover the show. That's it from me. See you next week.